So we've, we've been outside in probably a total of 20 minutes between. Oh, I don't think it was even that much. But it is it is a glorious day. Right. And we are so blessed to be here oh. with you to share. Um, uh, I a took a right, right turn. turn. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you remember that. You know, although sometimes we have a hard time remembering that. Yes, and I don't always take a right turn. So, But it's a good day today to take a right turn. Amen. And enjoy the program. Yes, we hope you do. Well, today we're going to uh, look at a passage in Colossians. Uh, it's the, you know, one of Paul's letters that he wrote while he was in prison. Yeah, that's so. I think that I always find it interesting that he writes these letters in prison. It it is. I mean, being in jail is bad. We've been in jail. Yeah. You know, we've both been in jail. You yeah. know, and uh, I was in kid prison for a while. You know, but. Uh, prison. It's bad. you got to think it's terrible. Matter of fact, with Paul, they end up cutting his head off. And he was in prison. Everybody knew when he was in there and the first time it's mentioned in Acts when they talk about he's in prison for over two years before they ship him to Rome, you know, for trial. And it says right in there, well, you know, the guy who was holding him in prison knew he wasn't guilty of anything. He was just hoping to get a bribe. Mm -hmm. So he just kept him in prison. And, you know, Paul was just in there for preaching the gospel, telling the truth about Jesus. That's all he everyone mm -hmm. you know not for breaking the peace or doing anything like that just preaching the gospel what a thing to be in prison for and you think about today the persecution of christians today is worse than at any time in human history it's going on all over the world thousands of people are being killed and persecuted and tortured you know and you think of that and then you read these letters of his and they're so encouraging and they're so you know uh, on point he's talking about you know the church and trying to help people who are having problems being church you know? And I don't think they're just encouraging for other people. I think he wrote them. He had to encourage himself. Yeah. You know, prison's not a fun place to be. No. Is there anything you can do to help keep yourself encouraged? Help well, it's, it's like David said in the Psalms and in uh, First Kings in that when it talks about, you know, everybody, all his people got kidnapped and his own men were about to kill him. Mm -hmm. And it said, David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, and uh, he talks about that in the Psalms, encouraging himself. And sometimes that's about all we have, too. I mean, there's nobody around sometimes to encourage us. Right. We're blessed. We have each other. Correct. You know, and when one is down, the other can encourage Yeah, that one usually goes down, too. Wait. <laughs> yeah, well, when I go down, I bring everybody down. But, you know, uh, a lot of times we don't have anybody to encourage us, and we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. Well, he's sitting in prison, and he writes his letter to the Colossians. And in the first chapter, beginning in the 26th verse, he says, This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. And now passages like this in the Bible, I know, always just blow my mind. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's a mystery of God that's been kept in the, you know, for since the beginning of time. And Paul's going to reveal that mystery to us. And we get to hold it in our hand. We get to know it. We get to read it. We get to 
you know, study it and learn it, and we get to know. And he said, here's the mystery. God wanted everyone, not just the Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. Because remember, the Jews were the promised people, you know, and from the time of Noah on through, you know, the family of Shem, the Semitics, and, you know, the promise of God coming down through that line comes to Abraham, and then Abraham's family becomes the Jews, and the promise of God is just for them. They're the only, they're the promised people, and they have the scriptures, they have the revelations of God, you know, and the rest of the world doesn't, you know, and so here's this, this coming down here but now we get to a point where God is saying through Paul I'm going to reveal this to everybody it's for everyone now and he said uh, the mystery in a nutshell is just this oh I love these nutshell mm-hmm. things you know and and in the message we get quite a few we get a several of them here and there where you know Paul or somebody says here it is in a nutshell I always think that's a great phrase it's just this Christ is in you so therefore you can look forward to sharing in god's glory it's that simple well wait a minute you know that almost sounds like religious talk somebody who doesn't know about god or anything and say well christ is in you and they say well what's that supposed to mean you know, I can remember hearing people talk like that, and I'd wonder, I'm in Christ, Christ is in me, what are you talking about? You know, are you, you know, what does that mean? Am I being possessed, or what are you talking about? You know, and, and what it's referring to is the Spirit of Christ, Christ's Spirit himself, is indwelling us, comes right inside of us, and we are then incorporated into the spiritual body of Christ. He's the head, and we're the body. And it's a concept, you know, that is hard to grasp in some ways, and I believe a concept that cannot be fully grasped unless it occurs. I don't think someone who is not united with Christ can actually understand this. Mm-hmm. They would read it and it'd just be nonsense. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, and that, that we get a share of God's glory. You know, it's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach we preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. And that's one of the major, major things in Paul's letters is telling people don't add anything to the message. The book of Galatians almost is completely about that. That's about all it is. What's wrong with you Galatians? You're adding all this stuff to the message. You can't add anything to the message of Christ. He came, God became incarnate. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And if we confess him as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, accept his Holy Spirit, we are united with him and his spirit indwells us. Then we are we are united in the glory of God. And that's it. It's as simple as that, as complex as that, as deep as that. Profound as, as that. Yeah, profound and as easy as that. Mm-hmm. But when we start adding things to it, because um, you know, if it's well, I believe in Christ, you know, but I got to do the, uh, I got to do it the right way. I got to say it the right way. I got to cross myself in the right direction. I got to have the right ceremonies. I got to follow the right traditions. You know, I got to have the right name over the door of my my building. You know, when we add anything to it, you know, Paul talks about adding holidays and special days and holy days and all these other things. When we add anything to it, he says in Galatians, if you've added anything to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. And he says here, he says, we teach in a spirit of profound 
common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. Now, then it goes on. Yeah. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. I mean, how how clear can it get that it's it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? I can remember you telling people, you know, that I want my life to be Jesus in the beginning, Jesus at the end, and Jesus in the middle, and if it's too much Jesus for you, I'll catch you later. If you ever need some Jesus, you might know where to come. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, that's it. Says, that's what I am working so hard at, day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. That's all Paul was about. His whole life, from the time he met God on, on the road to Damascus, was proclaiming Jesus and Him crucified. And it's that simple. It's that simple, you know, and that is the basis of Christianity. We confound it so much. But you've got to do this and that and this way and that way and this way and that way. I, I keep, I've said this for years. It is so easy. It's too easy. That's why That's we the confound problem. it. Right, right, right. You know, it's like, cause there's another place that says that to the Jews, you know, it, it's uh, blasphemy. And to the Gentiles, it's confusion, mm-hmm. you know. And people just turn it every every which way. You know, there's a saying, uh, a line in a Casting Crown song that the world is on the way to Christ, but but they're tripping over us, mm-hmm. you know, and people look at the church. One of the biggest things about the church is that it's divided. I mean, there's thousands of denominations and sects and, you know, everybody starts a church and, you know, many of them are started just to be a preaching platform for a preacher. I think I got an apple out of that sack myself, mm-hmm. you know, but people see the church is so divided, they can't understand that Christ is united. And the fact of the matter is that every person who is born again, who has accepted Christ and has been indwelt by his spirit, is part of the living church, the body of Christ, even if they don't realize that they're united with people of other denominations and sects and all that. You know, there is no division in the body of Christ. It's only in the world that people see it and in our minds as humans that we create it. Mm -hmm. You know, and until the church is united, we will never be able to get the message out to the world because the world looks at us and they say, come on, you know, the Catholics hate the Protestants, the Protestants hate the Orthodox, everybody, you know, they're all fighting all the time, you know, and and until we get united, until, you know, and they, they say there's a song and even in the word it says, they will know we are Christians by our love. And until we are living the love of God in this world, in the spirit of Christ, the church will never accomplish what God has called us to do. And God's, God's, what God's called people to do will always be accomplished. It can't be stopped. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can't let the world get in the way of the work of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. So now we're going to go on and we're going to share a song with you. And the song song we're going to share today is called, He Woke Me Up This Morning. Oh, thank you, Lord. Amen. Woke me up this morning.
because I love that he wakes me up every morning. Isn't Jesus something? We're now going to go into, Robert is going to read a chapter of America's Trojan War for us. And don't forget, you can get it at Amazon.com. Not just that one, but all of his books are available there for you. All you've got to do is put America's Trojan War, Dr. Robert Owens, in the search line of Amazon. Click it, it'll come right up to that book. And if you click on my name there, it'll take you to my author's page and all 30 of my books are there. You can get them in either Kindle or paperback with just one click. Chapter 11, When Duty Calls. David Johnson first, first joined the West Virginia National Guard when he was a junior in high school. He spent the summer between his junior and senior years in boot camp. Then he used the college benefits to complete his bachelor's degree while rising through the ranks of the ROTC. By the time he graduated college, he was the student commander of his squad. After graduation, he went into the regular army as a second lieutenant in the infantry. After eight years of service, he rose to the rank of captain in the 38th Armored Division, commanding Company A for the 4th Brigade, which was made up of 250 men, three tank platoons of four Abrams tanks, a headquarters with two Abrams tanks, an M113A2 armored personnel carrier, two M9... 98 mm hwvs and a two and two two and a half ton trucks with trailer like everyone else in america he was shocked by the attacks of 9 11 which happened during his first four-year hitch he volunteered for deployment five times serving three out three tours in afghanistan and two in iraq he had earned two bronze stars and was wounded by a sniper on his final deployment in Ramadi. In 2008, at 30 years old, he transitioned out of the regular army, but stayed in the guard, intending to serve until he could retire. Almost as soon as he was out, he was snapped up by the West Virginia State Police. Now, after eight years on the force, he was a patrol sergeant who just passed his lieutenant's test and recently recruited to join the state's detective squad at the end of the month. After eight years in the guard, he was now a full colonel and he was in command of the 13th Armored Brigade with its headquarters as 
at the Charlestown Armory. That morning, he was having breakfast with his childhood sweetheart, who is now his wife of 15 years. They were talking about the vacation they were planning for the coming summer. I just can't wait to see the Rocky Mountains, said Tammy. Me too. I want to see how they match up to the Alps. The time they spent in Bavaria, when he was stationed outside of Munich, had been their favorite duty post. Being from the mountains, they felt most at home when the horizon was cut off by rising peaks and the mornings were filled with misty pinks and purples as cold water streams skipped over tumbles and jumbles of rocks. The Alps had shown them that their home mountains in the Blue Ridge were small and friendly compared with the big rock mountains of the world. For two years, they had been planning for a whole month of hiking and climbing in the Colorado Rockies. I wish Johnny could come, but that soccer camp is going to be great for him, and it should help him make first string next year, David said as he poured another cup of coffee. Their only son, Johnny, was working hard to earn a scholarship in soccer, and both of them knew he needed the help of a concentrated month-long camp that that would give him. They both regretted that the only spot he could get in the camp was the same month is David's vacation. When do you think he'll be home tonight? Tammy asked. The pharaohs want to have dinner by seven. That should be no problem as long as the good Lord's willing and the crick don't rise, answered David with a smile. I hope Jim isn't going to want to talk about nothing but the Mountaineers and whether or not they make it to the playoffs, Tammy said as she cut a second piece of her locally famous aronia and cinnamon crunch coffee cake for the love of her life. I hope Jenny is making those poor fritters again, responded Dave as he eagerly pushed his fork into the coffee cake. Then David's phone rang and their lives would never be the same. Colonel Johnson, recognizing the voice of General James Crash Corbain, the commanding general of the West Virginia National Guard, and an old friend, David answered, Yes, sir. David, I need you to get to the armory immediately. The governor has ordered a full mobilization. Your men should be arriving in short order. I need you to mount up every vehicle you have for immediate deployment to Washington, D.C. Startled by the unusual order, David asked, What's up, General? Somebody in D.C. need an emergency parade? This is no joke, David, and it isn't a drill. The Capitol has been hit and hit hard, and we need to get there as fast as we can. I'm on my way, sir, and the 13th will be on the road ASAP. I knew I could count on you. I'll give you more details and specific deployment orders once you get in the saddle and we have a secure line. David kissed his wife goodbye, telling her, I love you, as he quickly changed from his trooper's uniform into his fatigues. He took his patrol car, because with sirens wailing and a 460 Eliminator engine, he was able to make better time on his way to the armory. It took him le a little less than 30 minutes to cover 20 miles. He listened to the police radio all the way. It was filled with reports of massive terrorist attacks in D.C. and with orders for all personnel to report for duty. When he came to the gate, the sergeant of guard saluted him while raising the gate in front of him and lowering it quickly behind him. A moment later, he was climbing out of his prowler as his second-in-command, Lieutenant Colonel Bobby Larson, met him, followed by the rest of the brigade, brigade staff officers. The yard was filled with men busy fueling vehicles and firing up tanks, Bradleys, and the other vehicles of the brigade. How's the muster so far? David asked as he slammed the door of his car and started into the huge old brick building that dated from World War I. Of course, the local boys are here already, and so far we have 
less than a dozen troops who have said they can't make it, Larson said as he fell in behind his commanding officer and lifetime friend. The roar of diesels and the smell of fuel permeated the air in the building, just as it had in the massive yard that was one big parking lot for the 13th. David walked into his office just as the phone rang. His adjutant, First Sergeant Billy Bubba Hanks, picked up the phone and answered 13th Armored Brigade, Colonel Johnson's office. David sat down behind the battered old desk that had been used by the commanders of this armory since 1918. Sergeant Hanks handed the phone to the colonel saying, Sir, it's General Corbain. Johnson here. David, this is bad. Four armories were taken by terrorists during the night. Each one was the home of an armored brigade. They were able to mobilize and move into D.C. before anyone knew what was happening. Right now, they're occupying four major hospitals, and they're spreading death and destruction in every direction. Oh, my God. David, that isn't even the worst of it. The White House, Congress, and the Pentagon all have been hit. The civilian and military chains of command are MIA. The governors of Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland are refusing to nationalize their guards because their states are also under terrorist attack. I've just been told that Fort Hamilton is under attack and that General Calloway and his whole staff can't be reached. Oh Lord, this is a full-blown invasion. Where did they come from? How did they get here? I don't have any answers, David. All I know is we've got a shooting war right here, and we have got to start doing some shooting. I want you to take the 13th down 340 to I-270. One of the enemy brigades is dug in at Walter Reed. I'll send the 24th and the 11th to your location ASAP. I want you to command the division. David, they have a heavy brigade. Apache cover the whole nine yards. Keep your head down and clean these creeps out of our hospital. Colonel Johnson was not the senior officer out of the three brigade commanders being sent to Walter Reed, but he had the most combat experience, and General Corbain had been pushing for his promotion to brigadier for quite a while. Out of all the officers in the West Virginia Guard, if there was one man the general wanted at the tip of the spear, it was David. Yes, sir. We should be pulling out in a few minutes. David, I'm just now receiving reports that there are snipers hitting commuters on I-270, and at least one bridge has been blown. The 13th will get through, General. I know you will, David. I know you will. Turning to Colonel Larson, David said, Colonel, let's get these men rolling. Forty minutes later, as the sun was breaking over the horizon, spreading pinks and reds over clouds that seemed to be waiting for just such illumination, the 13th Armored Brigade of the West Virginia National Guard was rolling down 340. David was in the lead Humvee, and he was getting reports of multiple sniper hits on I-270. Opening a secure channel to the entire convoy, David said, Men, as you have been briefed, we're heading into battle. It looks like we're going to encounter some snipers on the way. If we take any fire, I want the lead Bradley to follow the fire and take it out. There are also reports of at least one bridge down on the road. When we come to it, I want a Bradley screen to clear the area, then I want the sappers to clear the debris. We're on our way to liberate Walter Reed, and no one, I repeat, no one is going to stop us. Moving at top speed, the convoy soon reached the junction with I-270. They saw evidence of sniper activity in numerous crash vehicles, some burning, others off the road. Traffic was mostly pulled off the road. A few cars were either smoking or burning, and ambulances and police were on the scene. The convoy didn't stop. It rolled onto I-270 and was soon once again up to top speed. 
Just north of Gaithersburg, they took their first fire. The driver of a fuel tanker was hit, and he slumped over the wheel. The man riding shotgun tried valiantly to grab the wheel and stop the truck, but he couldn't with the dead man's foot still on the gas. The semi plunged off the road and hit a bridge abutment exploding and bursting into flames with a deafening roar. The fuel tank was in the middle of the convoy, so they were now cut in two as snipers opened up from multiple locations. Knowing they didn't have armored glass like the Humvees and the Bradleys, the expert marksmen aimed at the drivers of the trucks. Soon numerous trucks were off the road, some smoking, some on fire, and all filled with injured and dead troopers. Following David's earlier orders, Bradleys were splitting off and following the fire, mostly in trees and behind any cover they could find. The Bradley, using their 25mm guns, which can fire up to 200 rounds per minute, made short work of the snipers. After using two Bradleys to push the still-burning tanker off the, the, out of the way, the convoy was soon rolling again, determined to take death and destruction to the invaders. Just south of Rockville, they were hit by snipers again. Following the same pattern, the snipers picked out truck drivers as easy targets. This time, there were only two. No drivers were killed, and the convoy rolled on with Bradleys taking out the snipers on the fly. Within two and a half hours of receiving the call at his home in Charlestown, Colonel Johnson and the 13th were rolling across the Beltway and nearing the Walter Reed Hospital Complex in Bethesda. Well, as they say in the business, that's a wrap. <laughs> it's been great fun spending some time with you. Look forward to you listening to us again soon. God bless and have a marvelous day. Bye-bye.